Welcome to the Tamarin Learning Podcast, where host Dr. Kirby Ross Plock speaks with experts on many topics relevant in the ultra high net worth family wealth management space. Kirby is author of several books, including The Complete Family Office Handbook, and shares her expertise consulting with families and family offices. Kirby is also the founder of Tamarin Learning, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries to help them prepare for responsible stewardship of wealth. Welcome to the Tamarin Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirby Rosblock, and today we're talking about a super important topic that is near and dear to my heart, which is focusing on the next gen how they're reclaiming or reimagining their power and their influence and the important discussion topic of impact investing. Today, we have Christine Levesure-Mendoza with us and she is a spark plug. She is a change maker, an advocate, an ally, an advisor. She does so many different things with uh, strategically with clients, particularly with the next gen family members and wealthy families, family offices. And we're gonna like hear a little bit more about our work, her background, how she came to this work, and also more about what NextGen are thinking and doing to step up and be involved in the important discussion of impact investing. So Christine, welcome. Hi. Um, I'd like to kind of share a little bit about my background so it makes sense like why I do all the things I do. I grew up in a family where we, I was philanthropically involved from a very young age at five. I was following my mom to volunteer commitments in the community. Um, and so I always knew that um, as privileged as I was growing up, giving back was really important. Um, and then at the same time, I remember as early as a young kid helping out with the paperwork behind the family stuff. And that included actually helping stuff the envelopes for proxies on investments for my parents. Um, and so I've always kind of had like an eye to the business stuff and an eye towards finance or to community and philanthropy. Um, my background's in international business. I did that for my undergrad, my graduate degrees, uh, and have like worked and studied abroad, um, spent five years in the steel industry. So not sexy, not really sustainable, but it was, I was a fifth generation in my family to work in it. And I did corporate finance and I got to travel around the United States integrating small businesses into a big multinational company. Um, and I enjoyed that work, but uh, 2008 happened and I was in grad school and it was a unique opportunity then to kind of pivot to the work that I'm doing now and kind of um, around impact investing. So I kind of got started right around the time the term of impact investing was coined um, and have been you know, lucky to be a part of some really amazing projects and see some really amazing um, funds grow and families come on board. Um, it's, we're in this really unique time right now, though. It's really kind of fun and interesting to be doing the work um, because so many of the things we've been talking about for over a decade are coming to fruition. Um, as well as there's this, um, we were talking about it before, this massive transfer of wealth that we've been talking about for over a decade, and it's actually happening. And that's just, it's, it's interesting and fascinating to see it happen in real time. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's staggering. And we were talking about, <clears throat> there's been a, a New York Times article 
written in the last, um, fairly recently called The Greatest Wealth Transfer in History is Here with Familiar Rich Winners. And some of the details of it, I just want to bring up, because I think it's relevant to this conversation, but there are 73 million baby boomers that are turning 60, so between 60 and 80. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're looking at approximately 84 trillion projected to be passed down from older Americans to millennials and Gen X heirs through 2045. 16 trillion will be transferred within the next decade. So it's happening real time right now. And, you know, it's shocking that the baby boomers hold about half of our nation's wealth, which is about $140 trillion. Um, and these conversations between boomers and the millennials and Xers, it's so vital, right? to the yeah. continuity of what's gonna happen next. So let's talk about those conversations. What does that look like, Christine? I think it's really interesting because I think that there's you know, things, we think about things, the rate of social change and um, uh, environmental awareness and everything. And we think of it as going um, not fast enough or maybe it's going so fast depending on what generation you're in. And so one of my favorite conversations I've had in the last week has been someone who's the fourth gen in her family and talking about how the um, her, I think it's the second gen, they're in their 80s and they're like, they're thinking, you know, their thought was their kids are like, you did this wrong, you did this wrong when it came to their philanthropy, right? And stepping back and having, as a millennial, having the empathy to say, you did the best you could with the knowledge that you had. We have the privilege of having cell phones and information at our fingertips that your generation just didn't have, right? Yeah. And so, and so that's been the, this interesting piece. But at the same time, because we have all this information at our fingertips, next gen specifically, and specifically people who are stepping into the opportunity of having influence over that wealth whether it's at the foundation level or if it's at the actual like investing the corpus or the family office level, um, they're starting to ask questions that maybe their team's advisors have never, ha maybe we're expecting, but they're asking deeper and deeper questions about where investments are and um, what kind of role they play because philanthropy is part of the way you make change. But I think a lot of, um, Next ones are getting frustrated because they they don't see that as the only way, or it's not as successful or as fast as they'd like to be making change. Well, let's go there for one quick minute and just parse out what do we mean by philanthropy versus impact investing? Because I think a lot of times, and maybe this is generalization, but the elder generation kind of lumps it all together, like oh, it's just the same yeah. thing, but it's really not. Um, and I think the next gens really view it more so as having completely different impacts, or no pun intended, but different results, right? So maybe in your mind, talk about what you see as the major differences. So like philanthropy's key role is filling that gap between what the system, what a government, you know, whether it's local, national, or federal, or national, or supranational are able to do. So like big NGOs, down to your small community-based organizations, 
they actually kind of served that gap of whatever whatever the government's not able to do, right? Um, and and at the same time can be catalytic opportunities to like see if you can create new businesses and new markets. Philanthropy is often that that the role that that plays. It's not return seeking capital. It's I'm trying to do good or fix a gap, right? Um, impact investing is still has still an interest in doing good, but it's it's putting money to work that's seeking a return, right? Now that might, return might be outsized. You know, it could be market, you know, ahead of the stock market based returns, just like it would be for venture capital, or it could be a much smaller return because they, of the environment they're investing in, right? Yeah. It all depends on what the purpose and like the size and type of the investment, right? The purpose of it, the size and the type. Um, I think that you're hearing more and more about people focusing on those investments that are considered more traditional alternative assets where they're seeking that venture capital type return or that private equity type return around impact investing. Whereas early on, there was a lot more conversation about it being you know, a negative return or a small, you know, and that was what dominated the conversation. They've all existed, but I think there's more, there's an increased interest in finding those um, opportunities that are more of a venture capital curve. That make, does that make sense? <clears throat> that makes sense. And is that the kinds of conversations that you see happening most frequently with the clients that you serve, or are you seeing all of these types? I'm seeing all of it because I'm often seeing next gens step back and say they understand that impact investing is a part of that or the the label is a part of maybe the alternative asset scope of what mm -hmm. they're looking at but they're trying to look at the entire sphere so not just alternative assets but like how like where are we holding equities and bonds and how do we take the impact investing lens and apply it to publicly traded securities how mm -hmm. do i look at other assets have and what are the uh, what are the um, implications of that and so there's yeah. a lot of kind of conversations that are had not just based on hey how do I take you know this much money and put it into um, a clean energy um, or a carbon capture startup it's more like how do I look at my entire portfolio of assets that I think I might have access to in the next five years and really think about um, what do I need to do to move them so they align with my values and understanding, I think even if you step back, it's like, how do my values fit into what I have or where mm -hmm. I could go? That's the bigger question too. Yeah. And sometimes it's how do those values resonate or do they resonate with how the family, the, the legacy family or the greater or family of origin, um, where do they fit? Because I have experienced in my own work that sometimes there's right attention where it's like no no we make as much money as possible with our money and then there's a well yeah. why can't we do good while we're making money with our money but not compromise the impact of like the results of the money we're making yeah. like we're investing in fossil fuels and cigarette companies and companies that are do potentially do harm right or to our environment to our people socially whatever so I think it's really fascinating that generational component to this. And I'm sure you find it all the time in your work. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. And I also think that there are ways, I often meet 
an ex-friend who's really, really passionate about the work they're doing. And they're really passionate about, you know, trying to push the envelope or the fringe on that particular space, whether that's around sustainable fashion or that's around climate change or that's around equity um, and diversity and inclusion and accessibility. Um, and I, but then oftentimes I'm trying to say, you've come to me because you've hit, I, I often get people who have come to me because they've hit some kind of a barrier, whether mm -hmm. that's within their family or within their advisors, and they're frustrated because they're, they're passionate to seek to make change. And for some reason they can't, that passion doesn't necessarily translate into action on the other side. Right. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting to me is you, you can't be a flamethrower, right. Mm -hmm. When you're sitting in meeting a room was saying, we've got it, like, we have to divest from this, or we have to like, write, you know, do a shareholder resolution on this. We have to do this. We have to do that. And like, they're going to be met with like, no, we can't, like, we have rules. Like we have, we've been these governing documents. I can't just divest, you know, millions of dollars out of this one company because you don't like the way they're doing this work in Texas or pick yeah. a state. Right. Yeah. So it's, we sit down and try to figure out together, oftentimes stepping away from all the family engagement and say, okay, I walk them through how it, if it's a publicly traded company, for example, I kind of walk them through what shareholder advocacy engagement is mm. and how that, that um, the understanding the nomenclature around it, because it's so confusing, um, you know, both hedge funds and if you call, we'll call them values focused investors are called mm -hmm. activists, but they do totally mm -hmm. different things, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're after totally, they're after very different prerogatives oftentimes. Right. Um, so it's understanding like how to, what the, right, what the right words are for, but then explaining that, you know, for example, over half of the fortune 500 is headquartered in Delaware. So there's very specific rules that those companies have to follow. And those boards have to follow when it comes to entertaining shareholder proposals, and it has to be good for the business. So if it's a climate change issue, if it's a, um, issue around diversity, equity, inclusion, you have to make a business case for it as much as you want to make the social or environmental case for it. Right. And that's kind of like where I come in to say, okay, I'll go through and read all of the, you know, 10 K's and I will listen to the different investor calls and sit down and help parse out like what those arguments are. And then also mm. find out there's somebody that's already doing this because if somebody's already that's the other thing is that shareholder activism doesn't always have to happen in a vacuum right and it's yeah. it's better if there's allyship right so there's other investors that are going after the same thing so maybe you are try, as much as you want to go off and do something you try and find other investors that are concerned about the same issues that you are and so mm -hmm. that you can all come together and, and um put forward engagement around an issue. And I, I lead with engagement because I think that the talk uh, in the press and stop me if I'm rambling is about um, shareholder proposals. And I was like, yeah, but shareholder proposals are like the last thing, mm. right? It starts with having a dialogue. It starts with talking to management and you can't do that unless you understand their business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what you're also bringing tremendous awareness to is that where family member owners thinking about an individual staff that they own, right? And that company, maybe you want to 
impress upon changes that you really have to come full circle to who is this company? How are they owned and operated? What is the governance and the legal documentation state? How do yep. I play by the rules if I want to affect change? And then yep. can I affect change in the way that is meaningful enough to still maintain my ownership? Like if I could sell that stock and just vote with my feet, right? Um, that's a whole nother discussion we could have on how people decide to engage or not engage, right? It's just saying we're right. not going to invest in companies that have this kind of practice from a governance or this kind of board makeup if they don't have women or other, you know, minority interests on their board. So I think it's really incredible how much drill down that you do, right? Yeah. To help bring awareness to um, the, the family and the, that next gen investor about, okay, this is how change happens. It's not just because yeah. you're upset of the, about their business practices or their environmental impact. And I want to drill down on the fact that like, it's, it's really about, Hey, a finding the issues in the companies, you know, oftentimes it's, it's looking and seeing what companies are dealing that are being targeted for the same issues. Right. Mm. Uh, it's also, are there companies that are going to be impacted maybe in the short or medium term by legislation outside the United States that would force them to do the same things that we're that that we're seeking the same changes so i think you know um recently i put together a white paper for a client that i've made i've kind of made available publicly in a shortened form about the child labor issues here in the United States um and there you know there were a couple of shareholder proposals this proxy season that were focused on um, labor exploitation. But those companies, a lot of the ones that were listed in the media as having children in the supply chain in the US wanna operate in Europe. And they're going to have to fill out and file a human rights uh, due diligence report every year and if they wanna to continue to operate in Europe, right? So there's, there's a business case now for a lot of investors to say, hey, look, you need to address this, right? So sometimes it's, it's figuring out strategically where you don't necessarily have to go in with a flamethrower. You go in and engage and say, it's a, this is a business decision. Like you need, it's not just, um, I send out a press release and say, I don't believe in having kids in my supply chain. It's you have to do this because if you want to continue to have access to the EU, you're going to have to you know, certify that you don't have kids in your supply chain. Yeah. Well, right? and I know even, yeah, I was just, I've, even me as a vendor for certain, um, larger corporations like it's pretty common in the due diligence that they're asking me those same questions like do i have any sort of you know do i have um child labor or any i mean of course i don't but it's amazing how much this is now impacting right big to even smaller like because they're they're feeling they're responsible for everyone in their supply chain not even just their direct employment you know direct employees and so I find that it's interesting how pervasive when you really start to look at the the ramifications of just that issue alone. Um, yep. Transparency, you know, creating broader awareness, documentation. I think that is that's more and more going to be a big part of our world. It's going to be a big part of our world, and I think that it's it's it's, and this is where I go with next next trends and clients. It's how do you have conversations that are constructive and business focused that achieve both the objective that you're looking to have from an impact standpoint, but
but also are coming from a, hey, this is really what investors are looking for because it makes sense financially. Because oftentimes those boards and those managers are going to say, well, it doesn't, you know, that's not something for my bottom line. That's, you know, that's not, that's, that's a nice to have and not a need to have. And you have to reframe the conversation to being, no, your, for example, your customer base is going to be more diverse in the next 50 years than it ever has. And so you have to have both employees and products that, and that are for that community. So talk to me how you help your clients just think about the metrics for success, because they might have different standards for what they want to make for the impact investments they're currently involved in versus the impact at the client level or the say company level. Um, so talk to me a little bit more just about the planning approach that you take and, and how you educate them to build a plan that will work for them. Yep. So I talk about short-term, medium, and long-term goals. And I often um, remind them that investments, whether those are direct investments or you're working at you know, your public equity shareholder advocacy, those are long-term goals, but we want incremental progress, right? Um, and what, depending on the industry and what the investment is, we'll ask for metrics. But I always ask for, on top of metrics, I want qualitative backup. So, because I'm a firm believer that anyone can put numbers into a spreadsheet, right? Mm -hmm. I want to know, I want to have some level of qualitative backup to those numbers, whether that's stories, whether that's a video, whether that's give me some information so I can actually see as both an advisor and with my clients that you are making, that you're, the investment that we've made in you is having an, that you're doing what you say you're doing, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that that's the start and it's depending on what the investment is is it a quarterly update is it an annual update um i've worked with people who have had investor reps sit in on investments so that's sometimes it, something i've done for a client before um, i don't like to um because that kind of takes me away from other work but that is something that um it, if it's an if it's a risky enough investment i see a purpose for that yeah right um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's framing it up. And I think the metrics conversation is really important in the sense that it's metrics are critical, but you can also cripple a business by asking for too much. So you have mm -hmm. to find a happy medium, right? Just yeah. like you would on the nonprofit side, metrics are important, but they, you, we've got to make sure they have time and space to do the actual work we're investing in them to do it, to do. Yeah. And do you find that some of the families you're working with kind of similarly have an expectation for those maybe next gen family members getting involved, what their personal success towards this um, area is for their, you know, it might be like, what have they learned? You know, what role have they stepped up to take? Um, what, how do they demonstrate, you know, how they're making a decision or getting, doing the due diligence? So. I just wonder if that also becomes part of this bigger application or learning process. I think part of it is that more and more next ones are trying to ask for more responsibilities in their family, right? Yeah. So it's still trying to get that, like, give me more say in this, right? Mm -hmm. Give me, like, help me be a bigger part of this. Um, and so, and navigating what that looks like because the middle generation is still there and they still have a lot of control, right? 
Yeah. And so it, it's these, and so they're stepping into a place where, and it's when you're with a multi-generational family, you, you've got a bunch of different, you know, irons in the fire and with a lot of different personalities, right? And depending on that. And the other thing is, I don't think any one, any two families are the same, right? Yeah. They might have similar issues at the high level, but once you get into the nitty gritty, they've all got their little particulars and, and so, you, so it's not like you have a, can have a cookie cutter approach too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that no. there are, yeah. So it's just, it's very interesting to kind of, I think it just takes time more than anything. It takes time to learn what they're looking for. And then it takes time to figure out how do you get, how do you get more, um, out, like help them get more responsibility and or see if there's other avenues where they can take that responsibility. Is that starting a business? Is that, you know, trying to set up some kind of an investment vehicle on their own where they can go out and seek more kind of what they're looking for? Is it getting them more involved in say the foundation side and get, giving them as an opportunity? I think the foundations, family foundations sometimes are these unique kind of labs in a way for some of these next gens to kind of test out some of the impact investing methodologies and thoughts, and even like more broader, like a, a lens over their investment strategies. Yeah. We could probably talk about this for hours because there's so much to unpack. But if you were just thinking of a few highlights from what we talked about today or just the work that you do with families, what would you want to leave listeners or viewers with when you think about impact investing? next generation and just the urgency, right? Let's talk about the urgency for a minute. I think like, I think it's here, it's now, it's happening, right? I think that the two challenges or takeaways is really understanding the industries because that you are interested in and getting a sense for how they make money, where their expenses really come from um, and what their true impact can and could, you know, can and could be. Um, I think the, the biggest threat to trying to do a lot of the work that we're, you know, when it comes to investing dollars for that are really trying to drive social and environmental change is there's a lot of washing happening, right? Mm -hmm. So companies are out there saying that they're doing something sustainable or they're saying that they're doing something socially good. And the reality is that that is just a marketing label on top of stuff. And I, that is going to be one of the biggest challenges, both for us as advisors, but also those wealth holders to kind of pick through what's real and what's not. Because yeah. there's a lot of people, I will like one interesting anecdote, when I started in 2010 doing impact investing, I went and met, met with countless financial advisors just, you know, hey, I've got a shingle, I'm doing this work. And they laughed at me. And I will say like big Wall Street banks, they're like, nobody's interested in what you're talking about. So it's coming, this wealth transfer is gonna come and they're gonna ask for it. And they're like, we only have like 10 funds on our thing for, that are ESG. And I'm like, you're going to have a lot more because it's coming. And we've hit that point where it's across the board. There's yeah. tons. They're not all pure play, save the world type, you know, or they're not even save the world type. They've got a bunch of companies in there that you're just like, are they really like, how did they get into that fund type, you know, ESG labeled fund? Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Great insights. This is such an interesting conversation. Greenwashing might have to come after this and we'll talk more about what that really means. But Christine, I'm so I'm so grateful for you joining us today. 
so much good knowledge that you have. Um, podcast will be linked to some other resources you mentioned, as well as your contact information. Um, so we're so grateful to have you here on the Tamron Learning Podcast today. Thank you. Thank you.